this last month, I think people are getting more confident again that that maybe we're done here on on hikes. Possibly one more. Hike. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Mark is here with you for Arcadia Economics, continuing on our coverage in the Silver World, which, as we are now headed towards the back half of 2023, amazing. As the year has gone quickly by, we've seen a lot of volatility in the silver market, although, as we'll dig into today, we're recording on Tuesday, September 5th, and a little decline in silver. We're just about back to where we started the year, and to dig into this and some of the other recent economic news and where things might be headed from here. Joined by my friend Steve Cope of Silver Viper. And Steve, great to have you back on this month. And how's everything going with you? It's going well, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think, been a better month than when we last chatted. Even though you said it's down a little bit today. I think we're definitely trending in the right direction. Yeah, well, as we record again, this is on Tuesday afternoon here, and we see the price of silver down a bit below $24 on the futures chart, and right about to where it started the year at $24. We've had banking issues mixed in. We've had the Fed stay higher for longer, as they suggested they would. And Steve, I guess uh, now that the summer is over, We'll see what happens with traders coming back to the desks and perhaps some more volume going forward. But before we dig into some of the other stuff, just any thoughts on what we've seen throughout 2023, which has left us even on the year? And what do you think about what we've seen so far? It's it's definitely been a wild year. Um, you know, like it, there was so much optimism in the space in January. You know, metals prices were going. We were supposed to be ending rate hikes. It, you know, and people were getting really excited about gold and silver. And and then, you know, as inflation didn't get under control by the, the government standards, you know, they kind of had hinted then that rates were done and we would be looking, you know, at potential rate cuts by the end of the year. And, you know, and instead we've had two or three different rate hikes at least since then. Um, and it's kind of thrown the market into the loop and, and people are sitting back and waiting and trying to figure out what's going on. So it's this last month, I think people are getting more confident again that that maybe we're done here on, on hikes, possibly one more, I guess, but we'll see. And, and I think that's starting to give people some more confidence. And, and that's why, you know, from the time we spoke last to now, I think we've seen prices rebound pretty nicely both in gold and silver and obviously we know it needs to go a lot higher especially on the silver side but i think i think there is optimism coming into the fall here and and we'll see you know every time powell speaks you never know what's going to come out of his mouth but i think you are going to see an announcement fairly soon saying you know definitively that you know for a year we're not going to raise rates and then i think that's the first step into them ultimately cutting rates yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And certainly whether we've seen the last hike or not, have not seen any of the Fed governors suggest that they're going beyond that extra hike, perhaps higher for longer, although we continue to hear central bankers. There was one out this morning. Here is Christopher Waller, and he's suggesting that Encouraged by recent reports on where prices are trending, also said that they indicate the Fed can afford to hold rates higher longer and as you and i were talking about before we hit the record button obviously i think when we get to the point where there are rate cuts which 
not sure. Uh, I think would require some banking issues to see this year, but uh, still seems with where things are headed economically, a high probability of next year, which would certainly be a boost to the metals. But you were saying that you think even when they announce that they're just finally done hiking, that given how actively the market's been waiting for that point, that even that could provide a bit under the metals. Yeah, I think I think that's the main thing. I mean, like we kind of I, again, if you go back, we saw it in January. You know, they'd come out and said, "Yeah, we're we're pretty sure we're done raising rates," and the market reacted. We saw gold and silver run. I don't think we need to wait for rate cuts. I think obviously when we get to those first rate cuts, that's going to be another catalyst for the prices. But I think our first big run up here will be when they do come out and definitively say, "No, we're just we're done. We're pausing." you know, whether that's for a year, six months, whatever they want to say, you know, and then where the market can get some confidence that these rates aren't going to keep going up. You're going to see definitely a healthy rebound, both in metals prices and in the equities. Yeah. And as we take a look at the probabilities, we see 93% chance of a pause at the upcoming September meeting. Looking a little further out, we see Still markets pricing in a possibility of that additional rate cut sometime between now and January, uh, although the favorite is to stay at a pause. So we will see how that goes. Um, one of the things that obviously the Fed will be looking at is labor reports, which it's interesting how each month these come out beating expectations. Last month was... Uh, just last came out last week beat expectations by 17,000 although there's a trend here Steve that <laughs> every month so far this year we have on the announcement it comes up above expectations but continues to get revised lower including in June where we had an 80,000 downward revision which had been lowered by 24,000 the previous month which had taken it from 195,000 down to uh, 105, 106,000. So seems like if you if you look past just the number that's released on the day of the release, yeah. a lot of these numbers are showing that the employment market is slowing down too, which is obviously a big part. Yeah, I mean, did they beat expectations in any of those months after the revisions? I would I would wager that they probably did not. So it's. Again, we know and we've talked about in the past the way data is manipulated, um, you know, for the purpose of the government in the US especially is crazy. But, um, and, and I mean, then that's their the way they calculate it. Then on top of that, you start worrying about, okay, well, some of these jobs are created because the same person's gone and got three part time jobs and they count as three people in the job market getting new jobs, you know, but they were laid off of their, you know, high paying tech job. So the jobs that are out there aren't. The jobs that people want and that are after that pay very well so again it's just the number of jobs has always been a skewed data point for the health of the the job market in the u.s so i mean yeah i always take any data from us government with a grain of salt yeah i hear you and um here's another one that i've been looking at this is the purchasing managers index which we can see has been getting lower over the past year. Anything under the 50 line is a contraction. We see not a surprise right around the time when interest rates started going up. You have a uh, contraction in that. Although balanced against all of this is something that 
perhaps is what has created uh, not a perfect storm, unfortunate for living conditions, yet perhaps a boost for metals because at the same time this is happening, we see we're now starting to get the higher oil prices again, which makes me wonder if there's going to be an issue. We've seen inflation numbers come down throughout the past year, but a lot of that was based on cheaper energy. Now we have higher oil prices. So again, leaves the Fed in a position where even with the numbers lower now, uh, we see oil stay around here. Probably have not seen, we've seen the inflation of the currency already, but the impact of that resulting in the higher prices probably is not over. No, I mean, again, I, I keep my eye on oil too, because that's throughout this whole inflation process. That's the one thing that the U that you know the government can kind of control and they you know they make cut their deals with OPEC and decide like hey we need to get those barrels down to show that you know these interest rates are bringing inflation down because of how large of a component the oil is in that and yeah I mean I guess we're gonna have to watch that if there is another rate hike you're right they're probably gonna base it on the fact that inflation's gone up and it's gonna be because of that oil number the only other side like on the Canadian side is housing and that makes up a third of ours and you know the second that they you know, triggered that pause in January. It was it was a massive kick start for our housing market, which our government federally has been after trying to keep it down forever. So both of those, I think, are very heavily watched to, you know, see because they both affect inflation a lot. The, the idea that raising rate hikes and raising rates is stopping inflation, where the worst part of inflation for the average consumer is what their groceries have done and what the cost of you know, living and everything else is doing. And and these rate hikes don't stop that and they never have. So we'll see how they manipulate the data. I mean, maybe they cut a deal in OPEC and, and start, you know, flooding the market. The U.S. taps into the reserves again and floods the market with those to bring the price of fuel down, oil down, just to let us see that we're not in this inflationary environment that we all know we're in still. But um, they can't go much higher. I mean, like you said, they've had banks failing earlier in the year off rate hikes they've got people feeling the crunch and struggling to get by so you continue to raise rates and you're coming to an election year and they want to make people feel warm and fuzzy about their lifestyles and not be hurting when they go into an election and risk losing their spot as the government so i would be i'd be shocked if they continue to put the pressure on people and make people people feel this pain here for the next you know year going into that so we'll see maybe i'm wrong but it really feels like they're going to announce a pause here kind of no matter what and and just wait and see here. At least give it a year to see, you know, what all these rapid rate hikes are, how they're actually going to affect the economy and not continue to, you know, just react in the short term before, you know, that can really take effect and do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I like the way you phrased that. Uh, it is going to be quite theatrical to see how we can get people feeling warm and fuzzy ahead of an election year. Uh, of course, another indicator, we still see an inverted yield curve, which has uh, just about a perfect track record of predicting a recession. So um, unfortunately, not ideal conditions out there, which whether one feels they should or not, usually uh, just about every time in the past has resulted in uh, more quantitative easing, more money printing, lower rates. Uh, although Steve, back to the oil picture, I'm curious, how have you seen have you seen any impact in that on the mining side? Obviously, mining, pretty capital intensive, energy intensive. Um, have you seen 
any any changes in the recent months and perhaps even taking that back a year or so um, what the costs have been looking like on the silver mining side i mean we're not we don't actually mine so we're not we don't have the like the fuel consumption that the producers obviously have in what we're doing um but that being said i you know you've seen it on on the quarterly reports as these miners have been coming out with their costs and you're seeing them all have rising costs across the board you know they're they're all in sustaining costs or the various different ways of reporting their cash costs are coming in they're all coming in higher so you're definitely feeling the crunch of not just energy but labor everything is going up and you're seeing inflation heavily weigh on the miners on our side you know where we're using that predominantly is in drilling and and we definitely are seeing drillers come in with slightly higher quotes but it's not anything overly material that's changing it you know if we're going from 150 us all in a meter it might be 160 a meter now type of thing if, with the way costs have gone up but it's, it's so it's not really changing our budgeting or anything along that line but it's definitely something that's going to get factored in when people look at projects they're going to look at what type of energy how much fuel consumption how much is electricity depending you know, however you're going to get your power ultimately for a mine um or for your you know obviously your trucks and everything else that go into it it's a cost that's rising and you need to have you know a better looking economics to make up for those rising costs yeah and it's created a tough uh environment for the mining stocks over the past year as people are obviously well aware and even a lot of stocks trading below where we saw when silver was back at 18 dollars, even a little below 18 dollars, just about a year ago today and i'm curious is this remind you of any other period that we've gone through in the past couple of decades in the mining that maybe people could look back to as a comparative example, just in terms of the current setup where, again, we have these margins getting smaller, would seem to necessitate a higher price at some point. It won't even dig back into the growing green demand, but with all the factors going, running the deficit and and the, the silver imbalance, is this is, is there another similar example uh, in recent history that we can look back to that give give some insight into how things might play out from here? I mean, there's definitely periods where we're in these long, drawn out down periods. I mean, 2015 for me comes to mind really quickly. Like it was, it was rough. Like there was. There was no capital out there, even if people loved your projects. And then you came out of that in 2016 and started to get really good again. Um, we've been, we've been, a, this has been a really bad year and a half. This last year and a half has been painful in our sector, even in a rising, you know, a lot of that having a rising metals prices. It's just, again, reverting back to what we talked about earlier and the, the crunch that people are feeling. You know, there's just not a lot of, disposable income out there and people over the last year and a half have been slowly or or quickly depending on who it is selling anything that's a paper asset so even when you were in a pretty good metals environment price wise you just had a steady outflow and people selling stock and not a lot of people able to buy it and take advantage of it so, you know, I, I relate to like the start of COVID when we've had that first big pullback in COVID and then what are the first equities that rebound as you're coming out of something like that well it was mining stocks and you know companies were hitting all-time lows and within a month or two as it, as it turned we were you know at year two year three year highs on our share prices so it's when it does turn it can turn very quickly and these 
you know, stocks right now, especially now with all, you know, a lot of these assets that have been de-risked and have been proven and are sitting there with, you know, a very healthy resource and good jurisdictions and everything going for it. And, you know, they're trading at close to all time lows. It's, it's a very good opportunity for people to place their bets. And, and even if you pick a bad company, it's going to, it's going to rise with all the other companies and you're going to do well. in. And then if you, you know, pick the best of the bunch, then you're really going to do well. And I think that's what we're coming into. We just need, you know, some calm and some, you know, certainty for investors. We need money to start pouring back into the funds in our space that are the specialized, you know, with the companies like us really go to for financing and, and the larger investments. And they've had outflows for a year plus. And again, not a lot of capital to be able to deploy back in because, you know, they're constantly having to sell stock still to cover the money that's being pulled out of the fund. So it's it's been rough and you haven't seen the miners overly step up yet and start financing the juniors. But, you know, they're normally in a bad market who the juniors rely on. They start seeing a, a lot more strategic investments um, or just, you know, participating on JVs, different ways of getting access to these projects. And the miners haven't jumped all over that yet, you know, because they're still sitting wondering what's going on and they're enjoying, you know, the free capital, especially on the gold side, the silver side, they've been struggling. So it makes sense that they've had a lot of free capital, but the gold companies have been doing really well financially. So again, we need some of that capital to start being deployed back into the space. I think we're getting close to the end of this and, and it's just, you know, stuff is so cheap. It's, if you have one of these rebounds, like you saw on the back end of 2015, on the back end of COVID, that first run in COVID lockdown when, you know, everything got smoked, uh, going all the way back, you know, you go to 2012 and coming off the high there and everything went down. And then a few, you know, less than a year later, things were back up to all time highs. So you get these pullbacks where, you know, it feels like the world's ending and you've got to survive as companies, but when you come out of these things, you know, the amount of wealth that can be created very quickly, if you are tied into some of these companies, it's, it's pretty impressive. So it's just, people need to be patient. People, if they have and are interested, I, I think you're not going to get much cheaper than where you're at right now. So hopefully I'll knock on wood when I say that, but um, it's, I think it's a pretty good time to be looking at the junior market and our space and, build pretty healthy positions in some very high quality companies. Yeah. And are you, are you surprised that we haven't seen more acquisitions with things on the low side? Obviously you talked about how it's difficult for a lot of the uh, major silver companies um, happening a little bit on the gold side, but surprised we just haven't seen that yet with again, things at such a low end seems like, the time that you'd want to be picking up some of these assets cheaply. Uh, any thoughts on that? I, I think it should be happening. I just think one, you, it takes, it takes two to tango in one of those transactions. And there's a lot of people that are so cheap right now that, you know, if someone does come knocking, they're saying like, I don't want to sell. They, they, because they probably firmly believe what I just said. And that you could be a week, a month away from this, you know, rebounding and going up four or five X just on the market rebounding and saying, why would I sell now? <laughs> and then look really foolish if the market turns. So it, you don't see a lot of hostile takeovers anymore, just the way that the exchange rules and everything work. It's pretty hard to go hostile and take someone over. So you, you need a party that's willing 
going to. And, and I think the funds have told us that we should be doing that, that we need to be merging. They don't want single asset companies. They'd rather, you know, three or four of their companies merge and become one on the exploration side and development side. And so, you know, we're, we have to be cognizant of that, but it's hard. It's hard when you're looking, you know, and you're trading at, you know, a share price that, you know, probably is below what you listed the company at in a, in a lot of cases. And, and it's hard for people to say, well, I should sell now after, you know, especially if you've had a lot of success, you've built up a healthy resource, you've done everything right. And it's just been this market. It's tough. So I think you'll see it. And I think maybe there'll be a race as things start to rebound even so. I mean, I think, again, I think if this continues for much longer, you're going to see, you have to see some acquisitions because there's a lot of companies that have nothing left. Like, they're on absolute life support. So we'll, we'll monitor and we'll see, and, and we're, you know, always looking, you know, we almost did it with Canisil, but just weren't happy with what we found. We started doing our due diligence, but there's definitely an opportunity. Like you say, if you can find those companies that are really struggling to potentially, you know, grab a couple of really good assets or one or two good assets down here when prices are cheap and, and, you know, again, make your company look that much stronger coming when we do come out of this bad market. Yeah, that makes sense where obviously uh, a lot of people, if they are able to still keep going and believe in their project, obviously not wanting to sell at this particular time. Also reminds me of something I was reading recently, which I'd love to get your comment on. This was an article from Rick Rule or uh, commenting on Rick Rule and some of his criteria for gold and silver stocks. Of course, the first one being the management team. Second, he talks about the size of the project. But interesting uh, note that he had down here. Also, patience and courage are key components to success. Rick has said most of his 10 baggers required around five years and endured a 50% decline along the way. So I'm not saying this necessarily helps people feel better who have uh, seen things go down over the past year, but perhaps more so than uh, tech stocks or the regular stock market. Believe it or not, the types of moves that we've seen perhaps even more exacerbated over the past year yet, still somewhat common for the mining industry, which whether we like it or not, has been how this has historically gone. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the I mean, Rick's obviously been a, really good investor and has his model in our space and done phenomenal and, and the best that i know is is the guys at england ingles and snyder out of new york and he bob there you know i've i've presented it to him lots and and talking and he's like he takes massive positions and he knows that the junior market for the most part even in a good market is fairly illiquid and so you know the positions that they take they're not going to be able to trade out of those positions and he says look like i only need one one or two out of the 10 that i pick to work out, you know, because they're going to be 10 baggers plus and I make a lot of money and everything else can go to zero for all I care. And he's been doing it, you know, for longer than Rick's even been doing it in this industry and made himself and made himself into personally into a billionaire because he's been so good at picking these stocks and being patient. He never sells a share unless management does something that just absolutely offends him and pisses him off. But he knows he's not going to trade out the positions and the people that he represents there. And that's how you have to invest in this space. The junior mining space isn't meant to be day traded. You could goof around and do it a bit and try and trade in other positions and make your 10% if you can, like, but you're going to get burned on that. Ultimately you're going to run into one of 
these periods when you're trying to make that trade and get stuck and fall down and then you're going to sell out of it when you do get out and then you're going to miss the run up and that's not how you make money on the, the junior space it's a high risk space but it's because of those 10 baggers that rick's referring to there plus and you get those by being patient and really you're you should be in these companies you know for the long haul you uh, and there are a couple of key exit points that people should look out but normally it's around a takeover and the premium you get on a takeover because one of those big liquid companies takes you over and you can trade out of the position right away or the arbs are locking in the you know the transaction and you've got lots of volume you can trade out that that's where your exit points are you can you know, or you can exit at discovery. You know, if you get involved with these early and the company makes a new discovery, there's lots of news and hype around that. It's not a bad point to jump out and make profit, but but to sit there and and be impatient and be mad that something's down, you know, a month after you invest in it, that's if if that's the stress level and the focus that you have, you shouldn't be investing in the junior mining space. You have to take those long multi-year approaches and and just know that. You know, you go do your due diligence, do your homework, pick your 10 favorite companies and invest in them. And you only need, especially right now, one, probably one of those to do really well. And you're going to, and the rest can go to zero and you'd make money. And that's, that's your focus. And I don't, and again, I think if you're doing it now, you're timing the market a lot better and not having to wait those years to hit those big wins because we've been so down for so long that we're doing fine. But again, I, I, I just, it's a tough space. And it, you can have long down periods, but when you do get those longer, you know, good markets or really good markets, you know, you make a lot of money in this space as an investor. Yeah, I think that's well said because like you point out, certainly silver uh, to some degree gold as well requires a bit more patience than a lot of other markets. And I think it's tough for people, especially, uh, when you see the NASDAQ soaring to be able to sit in something for a couple of years rather than a couple of months or a couple of quarters, which I guess people can like or not like that that's the case, but at least understanding the dynamics of the industry and how it plays out, better to understand those and be aware of them and pass or not, but um well, having... People get frustrated, right? People know, like, look at a look at a five or ten year gold chart. That's a really good looking chart. You know, it's if that's another sector, and you're there thinking like, you know, this is the sector chart. You think everything's running high, but the because of just how our commodities are used and how people have focused on them, and they're your hedge, and they're you know this they act differently and you get, like you say, into a market like this and you would think your equities are doing really well because gold's performed pretty well. And yet, because it's a paper investment and like I say, people went out because people are hurting. That's, you don't get the run up necessarily. It's actually on, like I say, the back end when the market starts to recover, it's those equities that do really well. And it doesn't really matter what gold or silver at then. It's just, that's where the money flocks back into because they're so cheap. And their the ramp up and how fast they trade and go up is it's it's exceptional. So it's just timing that market and sitting in there, you know, being patient. Or if you have that capital, you know, as these things go down and continue to deploy it and build your position, if you can get in, I mean, if you get really lucky and start timing it and pick right at the bottom, and great. But you're we've been hurting for a long time, and you don't normally hurt this long in this sector before you have a really big rebound. So. Again, I think we're all anxiously waiting for that rebound to come, but I don't, it's just, 
I think the way things are shaping up out there with what the Fed's going to be doing with what the BRICS and, and what the challenge of the U.S. dollar on that front is going to be coming more and more prominently into the media and people's attention coming forward and what that could do to the, you know, the dollar index. But right now it's the dollar index. The dollar is performing so well that again, it's hard. To, you're not going to see gold and silver run on that. But, and, and so we have to wait. You need all the stars to align, but I, I think it is coming very quickly. Well, we'll certainly get a little more color on that in two weeks from the uh, time this one is broadcast. So Fed meeting only a little bit away. And Steve, before we wrap up, uh, perhaps you could give us an update on any news that has come up in Silver Viper and how things are coming along with the project. Yeah. I mean, again, we're gearing up for our, our drill program this fall. You know, again, we've been prepping and finding more and more targets that we think, you know, have new discovery potential. We're vectoring in on exactly where we're going to be putting those drills with, you know, the best chance of success, both in El Ruby and at El Molino to start with. Um, but yeah, we want to grow on that, that maiden resource that we came out with on El Ruby um, and expand that. Really want to see the next resource come in over the million ounce gold equivalent. We're sitting at about 700,000 ounces equivalent right now on the gold side or 49 million ounces of silver on the equivalent side. So again, it's, it's a great healthy start. It's a great project that's got very attractive economics when you compare it to the other open pit heap leach operations in the state of Sonora. Um, you know, we're double the grade average grade of what most of those are when you factor in our silver, but our gold grade in itself is already, you know, 50% higher than, than what the normal, mine is in the state so again it's a great project we've got a brand new power line corridor going through the project we've got water year round where El ruby sits is very appealing for open pit bleach mining that's on the a flatter 2k by 2k plateau um so again very favorable with gravity and how everything else would work on on that for open pit bleach mining but then we've also got our high grade structures that we're going to be trying to prove up and get a maiden underground resource that would sit below that pit so Lots of things to come. Stay tuned. We're we're really excited about the project, and and then like we talked about, we're constantly evaluating other companies and maybe looking to add, you know, some really nice another attractive asset in there cheap if we if we come across the right one and can get it. Yeah, and again, something you've mentioned before is that they actually had 180 drill holes between Pan American Silver and Mine Finders before you picked it up. Although, what really caught your attention was the exploration potential you felt was possible there, which again, you guys are going to be continuing to move forward in the next couple of months. So um, we'll look forward to seeing how that goes as things develop and just appreciate you making some time to check in and uh, at least the summer is over. We'll start getting the traders <laughs> back, see where the next phase of the market is headed. Although I think, like you said, some patience, uh, can help a lot, especially if you can see the long term of these things and some of the dynamics at play. But either case, we'll look forward to catching up again next month and see where things stand then. Sounds good, Chris. Thank you.